Second Peter chapter 2 and Numbers 22. How many of you remember record players? Yeah, me too. Remember, you could just drop a needle and wherever the thing was, that's, that's where you were. Well, today we're sort of dropping the needle in the middle of chapter 2. And we're dropping the needle in the middle of Peter's diatribe. This guy is blowing out a torrent of curses against the false teachers. Uh, let's back up a little bit and you'll see. Verse 9, he says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. We talked about it Thursday. That's avarice. That's greed. That's a lot of uh, things that, that are not godly. Those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Another mark of false teachers is arrogance. Uh, he says they are presumptuous, they're self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption." We shared on Thursday, you can summarize some of those things. Basically, he's talking about natural brute beasts. Picture one cow speaking to another cow, saying, man, that farmer of ours is so stupid. He takes some of our friends every so often, and we never see them again. He probably loses them. He's so stupid, and they're having this conversation underneath a billboard that says, beef is what's for dinner. That's the idea. These guys, Peter is just railing on them. Look at verse 13. And they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained that the word is Jim not so. They've actually been exercising their hearts in covetous practices and they are accursed children. Do you get the sense that Peter's less than thrilled with these guys? I think so. Well, his blistering condemnation of them continues right into our text today. We just dropped the needle. I want to give you an outline if you're taking them. I'm going to have three W's today to break it up to help you uh, focus. Number one, we're going to see the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam. Number two, we're going to see wells without water. And number three, we're going to see these guys are worse than they were at first. The way of Balaam. Wells without water and worse than the first. All right, y'all ready? Look at verse 15. This is where he continues. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. How many of you know Balaam or know about him from reading the scriptures? This guy was a minister for money. He was a prophet for profit. He was really interested in the almighty dollar. Turn with, uh, with me to Numbers 22, but keep Second Peter because we're going to be coming back and forth a little bit. While you're turning there, let me give you the cliff notes on Balaam. 
there's this king, Balak, who is the, the king of the Moabites. And he wants to hire this prophet for prophet, Balaam. His, what he wants Balaam to do is curse Israel. Israel's going through the desert. Uh, the, the Lord is blessing them. At pretty much every place they go, they try to be nice, make nice with the people. And the people are like, no, we don't like you. So they go to war and then Israel wins. So Balak says to Balaam, look, we don't want these guys taking over our land. Uh, we don't think we're going to have much success actually fighting them. So, Balaam, will you do us a favor? If we bring you a bunch of money, a bunch of gold, will you please curse Israel? Well, Balaam wants to oblige. If you go through the text in, in Numbers, four times he opens his mouth, I think hoping that he'll be able to curse Israel. Four times, blessing comes out. <laughs> At least he's a real prophet, right? So he, he's trying to get the, the Gitas, trying to get the money from, from Balak. And we know by piecing things together, you don't find it in the, uh, in the text in Numbers 22, but if you look at Numbers 31 and Revelation 2, for instance, and if you put that together with our text in Second Peter, here's what uh, the tapestry that is woven that we find out that happened with Balaam. Basically, it was this. He tried four times. Never, he couldn't have any success cursing Israel. So he eventually went back to Balaam, Balak and said, all right, apparently this is not going to work. You are never going to be able to destroy these people that God loves but from without. There's no way. But I tell you what, here's a plan. Why don't you have your women, the Moabite women, seduce the men of Israel? And while they're engaging in their sexual practices, also introduce idolatry. And you know what? It worked. One great message for us to begin with today is this. And it's huge when you think about it. The devil can never defeat you from without. His best hope is to hand you the matches and ask you to burn down your own house. His best hope is to somehow have you open the door to sexual immorality or, or compromise of any kind so that what happened to the, the kids of Israel, God had to punish them so that he'd be just. They brought down punishment upon themselves. But let's go back to our text real quick, but keep there, uh, Numbers 22, and see what Peter says about this guy, Balaam. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. Okay, go to Numbers 22 now. This is, this is midway in between the, uh, the four times that he tried to curse Israel. Okay? So we know his heart. We know he wants to do wrong so that he can gain the prophet. He's a prophet for profit. He's motivated by money. Apparently, he's comfortable with sexual immorality. Again, we know that from piecing things together. He's on his way to his gig. He hopes this is going to be the, the time when he can cash in. He is wanting to curse Israel for a buck. Look at uh, Numbers 22, beginning in verse 23. It says, Now, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. 
So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Are you guys tracking with this? Balaam wants to do, to do evil. The donkey sees the angel in, in the road. He sees danger. He sees this sword that he's ready to kill. This angel is. Balaam does not see the destruction that's awaiting him. Interesting. A prophet. Prophet is another word for seer. He, and he, we know that he sees things, but he does not see the destruction that it's awaiting him. So the donkey, think about this, is smarter than Balaam. He sees danger and he wants to get away. He, he tries by getting against the wall. He crushes Balaam's foot. That The angel begins to trap them even more. The donkey's trapped. Finally, the donkey's like, all right, I give up. He just sits down. Balaam now is blind to the danger and he's blinded by his anger and his greed. And he starts wailing on this donkey. Now, what happens next, you would think, would get your attention. Our text in Second Peter says that it was with a man's voice that the donkey spoke. So if you've ever... How many have seen Mr. Ed? <laughs> That's what this is like, okay? Verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam... Wilbur? No. <laughs> she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Stop there. Let's say you get upset with your dog and you swat it with a paper and it turns to you and says, what is your problem? What did I ever do to you? Would that get your attention? Well, our text in in chapter two of Peter refers to this guy's madness. Balaam was so whacked out, so focused on doing evil that apparently that doesn't phase him all that much because look. This gets worse. Verse 29, Balaam said to the donkey, well, it's because you have abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand for now I would kill you. The only thing more crazy than a donkey talking to you is when you talk back. (laughs) Balaam has now entered into a dialogue with the donkey. Believe it or not, it gets worse. Verse 30, so the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? Balaam says, no. (laughs) Worse than a donkey talking to you and worse than you arguing back is when the donkey wins the argument. (laughs) Verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. In other words, Balaam, that donkey just saved your life. 
You were going down a path of destruction and that dumb donkey saved you. I'm sure if you've been around the church for a while, you are very aware these verses are great consolation to preachers. Right? If God can use a dumb donkey, He can use me. If He can use a dumb donkey to save someone from the path of destruction, then He can use me too. Careful. God can use anything. He can use anyone to save one from destruction. And i got to say it, maybe that's what He's trying to do today. Little old me. Maybe some of you are headed down a path of destruction. And he's willing to use anybody. Maybe your wife, your husband. He's willing to use whatever he has to to get your attention. To say, get off that path. It could be any path that leads to destruction of any kind, of a marriage, of a church, of a job, of a family. Are you headed down the path of destruction? Because if you are, I'm not too proud to say, Lord, use me. I'm just a donkey, but please speak to them today. Perhaps the Lord is speaking to you today to change paths. Peter then condemns the false teachers. First he says... He talks about this way of Balaam, okay? That is the, the way of greed, of sexual immorality, of, of looseness. Um, but next, look at uh, verse 17 of Second Peter chapter 2. The second point we're looking at today is this. These guys, Peter says, are wells without water. Look at verse 17. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest. That is a whirlwind, a, a tornado. They're clouds carried by the tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. More evidence that Peter is not in love with these guys. What Peter is saying in verse 17, their wells without water, their clouds carried by a tempest, is this. These guys are empty promises. Think about this. This was written in the dry, arid land of the Middle East. There, water is extremely valuable. Imagine you are literally dying of thirst. You're traipsing through the desert. Your mouth is parched. Off in the distance, finally you see a well. Finally, life-giving water. There's hope. With your last ounce of strength, you shuffle off to that well. And you grab that bucket and you throw it in. And it clanks against the dirt. The promise of life-giving water and instead, emptiness. Or imagine you're a farmer in that land. You've been praying for rain for months. It's been so dry. Finally, this cloud comes in. But behind the cloud is not that gentle rain that you've been asking for, but a tornado that destroys what little crop you had. That's what Peter's saying about these guys. They are empty promises. They promise one thing and they deliver something else. They are hope that ends in hopelessness. They are deliverance, the promise of deliverance that ends in destruction. 
verse 17. These are wells without water. They are clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. The reason that Peter is going on and on, again, we broke it up, but if you read this from beginning to end, it's just like... He's blowing these guys away. The reason that he is so upset is that they promise life and deliver death. They promise your best life now and they deliver the worst death possible eternally. And the way they do it, according to verse 18, is with great swelling words of emptiness. Does that ring any bells? You listen to them and you go, man, that, that, that guy just, he preached up a storm. Well, what did he say? I don't know. But he preached up a storm. Peter would say, that, that, there's a cloud carried by a tempest. There's no real life-giving water. It's just destruction. Or you hear them and you go, man, that guy was deep. Really? How do you know? Because I didn't understand a word he said. <laughs> Peter would say, that, that there's a well without water. It looks so refreshing, but you come up dry. And their subject matter, rather than going through the word verse by verse, look at their subject matter. Verse 18, they allure, that is the bait that they use, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness. Hear what he's saying? Their bait is the cravings of man. They appeal to man's carnal nature. You guys know the the song, how it sounds. God wants you rich. He wants you wealthy. He wants you healthy. He wants you to have an awesome sex life. Some churches are trying to increase their attendance by giving away big screen TVs today. Do you know that? I won't tell you where. (laughs) Giving away stuff, giving away iPods, all this stuff. When God says, I want you to be holy, they say, God wants you to be happy. It's wells without water. It's clouds without, without water with tempest. They will tell you God is here to serve you. That God is your own personal genie in a bottle. That's not what the scripture says. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness. Here's who they're going after, guys. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. You hear what he's saying? That word actually says a lot to me. These guys are imposters. These guys are brute beasts. They're built for destruction, okay? They're not real. They're imposters. But listen, they allure real Christians. They try to rope in those who have actually, it says, escaped. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty... They themselves are slaves of corruption. They promise liberty. The, the liberty they promise is probably manifold. Many different um, 
ways that they say, hey, here's liberty, here's some possibilities. Some say, look, live however you want because you are free in Christ. Live in promiscuity. It's okay. Uh, Or get drunk every so often. It's no big deal. Well, sure, you gossip a little bit, but everyone does that. Jesus forgives. You've got liberty. Or, or maybe they speak of financial liberty, meaning you need to be completely free of, of all debt. Um, and it doesn't stop there, but they say God wants you rich. He, if you're not rich, you're doing something wrong. Maybe they say, look, you have sexual liberty. God doesn't really care about marriage or purity. Peter would say these guys are wells without water. They promise you one thing. Liberty, but instead they deliver the exact opposite, which is bondage. And when you when you follow through all of those things, when you uh, all of the things I just mentioned, let's say you're like, yeah, God wants me to be rich. You end up a slave to money, right? God says I can be free sexually. You end up a slave to so many things. Here we see in verse 19 really what's going on. He says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves. That is the false teachers. They themselves are slaves of corruption. The word corruption there is decay. It means perishing. And again, unfortunately, this song is tried and true. We're familiar with this song. The scandal breaks and you discover that the false teacher is himself or herself a slave to decay. Uh, decaying marriage or decaying morals or decaying financial practices. And the rest of this verse tells us how it happens. It says, For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Let me read that again. By whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Y'all, that's just the rules of war. The rules of war state basically that the victor becomes the master. The guy who wins the war makes the rules. The victor becomes the master and the vanquished becomes the slave. Romans 6.16 puts it this way. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Galatians says it a different way. Look, if you walk the way of the Holy Spirit, if you follow the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if instead you follow the flesh, you cannot possibly follow the Spirit. Whomever you give in to is the one who becomes your master. If you give in to the love of money, if you let it be the victor, guess what? It becomes the master. If you give in to the lust of your flesh... Guess what? It becomes your master. You give in to drugs, you give in to alcohol, you let them win. Guess what? They rule over you. Now, don't raise your hand, but who is the Lord speaking to right now? You've given in to something. And it's just on the edge of ruling you. Can I remind you? Bible says if you give in to Jesus he will rule over you Peter says these guys they use great swelling words of emptiness they promise you something but they deliver something else because they don't even possess the thing that they're promising you 
They themselves are slaves of decay. They are vanquished by their own flesh. So we've seen these guys follow the way of Balaam. They are wells without water. And lastly, their fate is worse than at first. Look at verse 20. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now, does this mean that you can lose your salvation? Different portions of the body of Christ have different opinions on this. If you are an Arminian, there are several places in here where you would look at this and say, yeah, you can. Uh, The most compelling, I think, for that argument would probably be in verse 20, where it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's epigenosis, that's that, that knowledge by experience, okay? If you're an Arminian, that's what you would point to. On the other hand, if you're a Calvinist, you would say, well, no. And the reason I say so is because of that word actually before. That these guys are not actually uh, children of God. Now, my opinion is that you can't lose your salvation. But, number one, why would you just listen to me? I'm just a donkey. And here's, I think, the much more important question. Why do people spend so much time running down what could be an impossible answer to a theoretical question when one much more important question should be screaming at you right now? If the Armenian is right, please don't let him be right about you. That's the point. Look at it. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled. That means to be interwoven, to be braided together. If they are woven back into the fabric of the world in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. I think... This is speaking, again, if you were here last Sunday, it was an awesome time. But one of the things out of many that, that blessed me was, was how Dave, he put it so well, he referred to the inoculated Christian. That is that person that said the prayer once and they said, okay, I'm good. I don't really need a relationship with Jesus. I said that prayer And maybe that person even had an emotional experience with Jesus at one time. But somehow they became interwoven, braided together with the world. Again, I don't know who I'm speaking to, but the Lord does. Maybe I'm speaking to you. The fabric of your life has never really changed. You tried to be good to reform yourself. You tried reformation, reformation, but you never experienced regeneration. You tried to turn over a new leaf, but you've never turned over your life. If I am speaking to anyone in the room 
Verse 21 is very sobering. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. The word delivered is paradidomai. It means to give into the hands of another, to trust, to commit something to someone. So Peter is saying, if you have been coming to church for years... God has been delivering to you, entrusting you with the holy message of salvation over and over again. So you're familiar with the way of righteousness. He's entrusted your ears with this holy commandment. Peter says, how much worse off is the man who knows the right path? And he's even sort of put his foot on that right right path a little bit here and there. But he chooses another Verse 22, I think, is another reason, again, why I believe that this passage is talking about false teachers. That is, people who never really were Christian. They are more the inoculated Christian. Because look at verse 22, it says, But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Dogs vomiting. Pigs wallowing in dung. That's a nice ending. Shall we pray? No. Dogs and swine. Jesus referred to both of them as unbelievers. Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. What I think Peter's saying here is this. Look, ultimately... A person reveals his true nature, listen, by what he returns to. Ultimately, a person reveals what really is going on inside by what he returns to. A dog returns to his own vomit. How many of you have owned dogs? Peter's not lying, right? It's disgusting. And then they want to lick you. When I was a kid, our family had a dog. Lisa's uh, allergic, so we don't have any recent uh, examples. But when I was a kid, a family dog, it was a Pekingese poodle named Shadow. They call them, when you scrunch it together, Peekapoo. Isn't that cute? Tell you what, it's not cute when they're lapping up their own barf. Think about that for a second. How nasty. Sorry, we just have to go here. It's in the word. <laughs> How nasty is it? How dumb do you have to be to lick up again that which almost killed you the first time? <laughs> Damien Kyle, I was listening, he makes a great point. He would say to you, and I'm sorry if I have to talk to you like a dog, but the reason that you chucked it the first time was that it was going to kill you. Amen. How dumb do you have to be? It was killing you on the inside. How dumb do you have to be to go back to that which was killing you the first time? What makes a dog so stupid as to look at that and go, I think I'll try that again? (laughs) Here's the answer. You ready? It's because they're dogs. It's their nature. They are dogs. They are not people. Most of you, you love your pets. You want to think they're people. They're not people. They are dogs. Watch them. You'll see. 
Let's say by some miracle, your dog Spot wakes up in a human body tomorrow. He speaks English. He can drive a car. He can hold an intelligent conversation with you. But let's say an hour after dinner, he goes, I don't feel right. (laughs) He chucks. And you say, hey, no, let me clean that up. And he says, oh, no, no. I'm saving it for later. (laughs) By all other appearances, he is human. But there's your clue. In reality, he's still a dog. Because only dogs return to that which poisoned them in the first place. Let's say you have a sow, a prize-winning pig at the county fair. And you bathe her and you scrub her and uh, she smells awesome. You put a a bow on her tail. You put a a little spring dress, lipstick. She wins first prize. This is a glorious pig. What's going to happen as soon as you let her near the dung? She's going to go right back to wallowing in the mire, rolling in the dung. You know why? Because she's a pig. A person's real nature is determined by what they return to. Maybe you continually find yourself going back to the same dung heap. Maybe you find yourself lapping up that which nearly killed you the first time. I want to give you a little bit of hope, okay? Let me close by taking you to a pigsty that Jesus spoke of. It's in Luke 15. You can turn there if you like. In there you'll find a bunch of pigs in the sty, and they are doing what pigs do. They are rolling in the mire. But also among those pigs you will find a prodigal son. All the pigs are happy as pigs in slop. Prodigal son, not so happy. He's miserable. Prodigal son says, what in the world am I doing here? I am not a pig. I hate it here. Let me return to my father. Perhaps he'll receive me. Look at verse 20, Luke 15, 20. So this prodigal among the pigs, he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Anybody putting the dots together? Look, just because you're in the slop right now doesn't necessarily mean you're a pig. If you get up And run to the Father. And when you do, you find Him running to you. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your mercy and Your goodness. Thank You, Lord, that You are the wondrous Father, Lord, who who meets us. I thank You, Lord, uh, for the, the work of regeneration, Lord, that You've done in so many here. Thank You, Lord, um... That when we fall, Lord, it's for a short time. Many of us, Lord, it's just for a short time and we're miserable. 
Lord, but I pray for those who have been in the mire for quite some time and are growing comfortable. And I ask Lord, you do a work. You work in their hearts. You'd save them from destruction. You would bring them, Lord, to, to a place where they would run to you. And they would find you running back to them. I ask, Lord, that you would uh, deliver those whom you've, you've named, who you love. Lord, if there's anyone here who's out of their mind, they're not thinking straight. Lord, speak to them today and bring them into your kingdom. Lord, let repentance reign and rule in this place today. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry. Um, if there are people in the room who think they're going to heaven and they're not, that's pretty, pretty important. So sorry if I get a little emotional. Um, here we go. Three applications that I have, three, three things to think about. Number one, the way of Balaam. This is, this is a little lighter, but it's a great application. It's this. Even a dumb donkey can be used. Raise your hand if you think, okay, that might qualify me. Okay? Here's your application. One of them. Look, speak up. If you see danger in someone's life, pray. Say, Lord, let me be gracious. But then speak. If you see someone who's in the midst of adultery and they're ruining their future... Speak up. If you see someone who thinks that their life is just fine and they don't know Jesus, speak up. Say to the Lord, Lord, you put the right words in that donkey's mouth. Please, Lord, speak through me. Lord, help me verbalize the reality of that person's situation because I see it and they don't. Lord, help me to share that danger. Help me to just say, however you want me to say it, Lord, to them, change paths. And listen, what happened to the donkey when, when, he started, uh, when he started trying to save Balaam? Balaam laid into him. You'll probably get laid into. Okay? They're probably going to try to wail on you. But here's the thing. Eventually, the Lord will come to your defense and praise you. The angel was like saying to, the, to Balaam, that donkey just saved your life. Don't, let, don't be the donkey that is dumb and refuses to speak. Be the dumb donkey that's willing to speak. Okay, next. Are you a well without water? Now, I, I pray, I would hope that nobody here is in with capital letters, a well without water. That is a false teacher who is leading people uh, into darkness. But here's what I'm getting at. I think it's very possible there could be people in the room that you speak with great swelling words. But they're kind of empty because you haven't experienced Jesus on your own in a while. Right? You speak with great swelling words about how much you love Jesus, how much you worship Him, but you're not spending time with Him. If that's you, that maybe small letters makes you a well without water. Because what you're telling people is you're promising them abundant life, but you are not possessing it at the moment. Right? You're promising them living water that you are not carrying around with you. What's the solution? Come meet with Jesus at the well. You guys remember, right? John chapter 4, 14. 
the woman comes and meets Jesus at the well. And this is what he says. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. You could, I don't think it would be a stretch to say, whoever drinks of the water that I give him today in my word will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Sorry, guys, I'm on this, this uh, theme and, and I'm not allowed to go off of it yet. Quiet time. When you spend time with Him and you're hearing from Him, then when you meet somebody in need, it just starts flowing out. It really does. And you're like, wow, I can't believe that what I just learned applies to your life. But it really, really does. Don't be a well without water this week. Next. Are you worse than at first? Basically, you, only you can answer this question. Are you a pig in sin? Or are you a prodigal son? The thing that will answer your question is, if you stay where you are and do nothing, you just wallow, you're a pig. If today, though, even through a donkey speaking to you, you woke up and you said, I shouldn't be here. I'm on the wrong path. Let me return to my father. Then you are a prodigal son. A pig will stay and wallow. A son will run back to the Father. Your application. Run to Him. Do it today. While it's still called today. And you will find Him running to you. Isn't that awesome? That the, you would think you would be scared. That's, that was what was happening with the prodigal son. You would think, I'm going to run to Him and I'm, He's going to go, Nice try. You've tried this before. doesn't say that. He finds the Father running to Him. Okay? Let's spend some time, just you and the Lord. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. If He tells you to come up here to to kneel at the altar, to give your heart again to Him, whatever He tells you, this is your time. Please, please don't use it unwisely. Again, I know I say this occasionally, but you sort of get the sense, I mean, all the earthquakes and all that stuff, you get the sense that things are maybe wrapping up. Don't waste a moment of it. Do what the Lord tells you to do, especially in these next few minutes. Okay? See you soon.